Hello and welcome to Media MD. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. Each fortnight on Media MD, we recommend each other a piece of media that the other person has somehow missed. Yes. Alright, so this week, fortnight, this fortnight, <laughs> it's my turn, and I'm bringing you a book by Stephen King called Salem's Lot. Yeah, and I think this very much fits the criteria because I have never read a Stephen King book. Yes, um, and I wouldn't call myself an expert, but... I haven't also read a lot of them. Yeah, I also haven't read a lot of them. But this is one of the ones that I have read. Um, In fact, I actually listened to this on an audiobook, but that still counts. I'm going to give you... I have the physical book here. It's pretty hefty. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to bring this one to you. Doesn't Stephen King, like, just write like a maniac? He he writes a lot. (sighs) Yeah, and he has so many books now. Yeah, and they're all big, like, you know. Mm. Well, he does have short stories as well. Yeah, okay. Wrong, <laughs> idiot. All right. Anyway, let's get to Steve. Let's get to Sam's <laughs> line. Um, so, do you know anything about this book? I mean, I'm I'm assuming based on the title, it has something to do with witches, witch, no. witch trial. So Salem, it's actually apostrophe Salem apostrophe S lot, and that's because it's short for Jerusalem's lot, which is the name of the town that the book is set in. Um, it doesn't okay. have anything to do with witches. It has to do with vampires. That seems intentionally misleading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not about the Salem witch trials. Um, yeah, so last week you brought me Frankenstein, yeah, which was a book that was uh, last fortnight, uh, which was a book that was gothic horror in air quotes for the audio medium. You can't see I'm doing the air quotes, but this is a book that I would class as actually scary. Yes. Um, so Stephen King does write horror. Um, yeah, well, it, it is yes. particularly famous um, one. Yeah. And but obviously, I would say it's pretty hard to scare me with a book nowadays. Yeah, you know, it's such a. Um, I mean, it's yeah, not as, as we talked about. We're, we're spoiled these days. We're spoiled for being scared. Um, um, but this is a book that came out in 1975, and is still. I I I I listened to it just a year ago or half a year ago, and it spooked me. It spooked me good. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a scary book for sure. Um, and I want to talk about vampires because this is a book about vampires where the vampires are actually scary and actually feel like a threat right oh that's good and vampires are such a trope such yeah. a trope they're, i mean they're not right? they're not underdone but i mean even even before twilight yeah so let's just quickly get impact. out of the way <laughs> team jacobs barkley vampires blah, blah blah all right now let's move on yes yeah. um so even before all that happened i mean they were still Sort of so ingrained yeah. in in pop culture um, that like they'd lost a lot of their impact. Like, yeah, it's hard to be scared of something that is so defined. Yeah, and and common. Yeah, but you're right. Defined like there were there were the rules with like garlic, yeah, the garlic, and, and the, the mirrors, and it's yes. And I this... mean, if you really had to fight them, there, there's so many easy things you could do, like not invite them in your house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just, um, just stay at home. Yeah, and vampires are something that have been so subverted. Um, like what we do in the shadows, the, mm. the movie about vampires. Uh, there was a, uh, a movie interview with a vampire. Yeah, there have been yeah. so many um, movies like that that subvert vampires and approach them in a non-horror way yep. that it's hard to be scared of them. But um, this is a book where the vampires are traditional vampires. You mm-hmm. know, like obviously with vampire myths, some of the things apply at some points and some don't. Um, so I think you can't. You have to invite them in. You have to. They only come out at night. I'm not sure about garlic, but they're they're like deathly afraid of crucifixes, and the power of okay. faith is obviously something that's a big um, used against them a lot. Um, and and the the main vampires, 
the main the vampires in Salem's Lot really follow the traditional vampire kind of formula, but it's still done in such a good way that it's still okay. engaging and still scary. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with this book is it's a pretty hefty book, and I'd say the vampire shenanigans start about halfway through. Hmm. Um, Stephen King is such a—I mean, he's obviously such a famous author, and that's because he has—he is a good—he's good at writing. Sure. Um, you can really tell because the first half of this book really sets up the the town, Salem's Lot, and all the characters. Yeah, okay. and then that is what carries it through. There are still some elements of kind of mystery and intrigue, like a kid goes missing is one of the first things that happens in the book, um, and you can kind of tell where it's going because. You know what vampires are. You know that this kid, if they get abducted, they're probably going to turn into a vampire. Sure, but I guess, like, from the town's perspective, it's just like a missing kid, which is a big deal, but not like a... Yeah. being invaded by vampires, big deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, It definitely is a slow burn in that way. Um, So so things start happening with more and more frequency until eventually it gets kind of balls to the wall, vampires, fuck, you know. Sure. Um, But it's still engaging... Through those earlier parts, which is definitely a credit to the writing abilities of Stephen King. And so is this just like, this is the classic, like, it's, it's a small town yeah, uh, out in probably middle America somewhere. Yeah, so Stephen King has said he wanted to revisit, he wanted to write a sequel to Salem's Lot, but he can't because he wrote this at a time where the middle America town was still a thing. And that's kind of a thing that's dying off as, as globalization mm-hmm. becomes more and more. This kind of isolated town isn't a thing that happens anymore. And that's why he's felt like... Somebody better really... call the uh, writers of Supernatural. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not good news for them. And, and add another one to the Supernatural <laughs> reference counter that we keep for this podcast. Um, no, but yeah, it's something that he's he said he would love to revisit, but he yeah. can he can't really do it in the same way. No, it's, that, that's just interesting because for me, I've always liked those stories that are set in that small town out in the middle of nowhere because that's sort of the town I grew up in. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I, I knew most of the people in the mm. town and that sort of thing. So, so if one of them turned up missing or turned into a vampire, you think you'd, yeah, you think I, you'd know? I think, like, compared to, like, you know, move, like movies and stories and stuff set in big cities, I mean, it, it's just sort of the inverse. Like, I, I always liked those stories about the small town because it was much easier to imagine... Like she's going is, down yeah. and then like, you can put if you don't have a car, there's nowhere for you to go and stuff like that. Yeah. You can put yourself in the situation. Yeah. A lot easier as well. Yeah. Um, and because it's so, because it is a small town, it's, there's never a feeling of like, oh, well, let's just call in the military and yeah, <laughs> or anything exactly. like that. It, it doesn't really come into it at all because and, it's 1975 small town, you know. And that thing where like the the police or military presence or whatever you want is, is like four dudes. Yeah. So, like, so if they get taken out, like, uh, you know, my hometown, uh, I went back there recently and now they have two police cars that, 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 that patrol around. Now, Budget. Um, They've yeah, got some crazy increases. Um, yeah, so something I'm realizing now is that this would kind of be comparable to something like Stranger Things, the Netflix show that sure. I'm sure we've both watched because it's... Uh, everyone's watched and Everyone's watched it by now. Because <laughs> it's a small town story, weird stuff starts happening, but it's still very kind of well, that a was, small town dealing with this. And that was a very 80s yeah. sort of thing. And like I saw a lot of people compare it to the Stephen King yeah, thing. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. The so comparison is definitely there. And it definitely also feels like that's kind of a more isolated incident with just... Well, I don't want to talk about Stranger Things too much, but a kid goes missing and that's the defining incident and some other stuff happens. Whereas this is something that the vampirism is kind of like a plague, sort of. It, it spreads, and so yeah. it starts to affect the entire town in a way that it doesn't in Stranger Things. But sure. it still feels like a small, isolated incident, yeah. um, which is very cool. And I guess I want to talk about 
the kind of realism of it as well. Because mm-hmm. since vampires are such a trope, it's not really... There's, I can't remember the last time I've heard it, a realistic vampire story, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, they're just sort of... Yeah, a bit fantastical. Yeah, for sure. So if you if you hear a vampire story nowadays, it'll be like, oh, you know, I'll just grab my my garlic necklace and throw it yeah. at the vampire or whatever. And they get well, and they get a bit de- dehumanized. Yes, um, for sure. And so it's it's hard to view them as a legitimate threat, like because they're, yeah. they're just like machines with rules. Yeah, it's um, just like do this, and then this happens, and then this happens. Yeah. And while the vampires are still following those rules, because um. It really feels like a threat because of how the town has been built up. So there are characters that are built up and then people die in this book. Obviously, it's a book about vampires. People would die in this situation. And so you really feel it when, when you know, whoever turns into a vampire, you're like, but I've known this character for the whole half of the book, you know? Um, yeah, and so it's very realistic in that way. It's okay. kind of like, I can imagine this is how this scene would play out if this is what happens. And yeah. that kind of really draws you in and makes it more scary as well in an interesting way. Yeah, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so there isn't that much... I want to talk more about this book, but it is such a plot-based book. That okay. If I talk about too much about exactly what happens, I feel like I'll ruin it a bit. So um, I have to save it for next time. Yes. So next time, tell me whether this spooks you, and we'll see how we go. Give it a spooky out of ten. <laughs> and we're back two weeks later. Here we are. So yeah, I've um read or listened to parts mm. of uh well all of Salem's lot, but I listened to parts of it. Nice, nice. Uh so yeah, um uh, I'll talk about how listening versus reading affected bits, but uh, okay. I'll go through the plot first. All right, spoiler alert. Here we go. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just wanted to open with, first of all, I really feel like this was a story about the town. Like, I really feel like Jerusalem's lot mm. is, I don't remember who said the main character, but that's <laughs> what the story was about. So, I guess technically the main character would be um, Ben Mears, the mm-hmm. writer. Who's kind of like Stephen King puts himself in yeah, the story. Yeah, like he's bit. he's a writer and um anyway so uh Ben's wife had died and so he was writing some new novel and he was scarred by a childhood trauma in a house in this small town he'd spent a few years in as a kid mm-hmm. which was Jerusalem's lot. So he comes back and finds out the house has already been bought because he wanted to try and rent it to help him get over this trauma and, and to give him inspiration trauma. as well for the book. That's right. Story. Yeah. So um Anyway, yeah, like, the the house had been bought by this, like, creepy dude who was clearly just a criminal. <laughs> um, and uh, so, essentially, yeah, ben, ben, the writer, is in the town for a bit, meets a girl, uh, and really the first half of the book is, yeah, just introducing the people in the town. Or, yeah. Like, as, as if it was just sort of building the town. Yeah. Um, and, and how everything worked in the town. And then, anyway, sure enough, it turns out the people who bought the creepy old house on the top of the hill... We're actually uh, like a vampire, and he's like human slave. He's person. like manservant. Yeah, yeah. which I, you know, it made practical sense that you'd have like a manservant yeah. like that to go out during the day yeah. and get move your coffin from one place to another. Yeah, so practical, yeah. practical yeah. tips for vampires. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we've got to hit a new target demographic <laughs> with the podcast. We've gone for that vampire market. The five habits of highly effective vampires. <laughs> 
you won't believe number four. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, uh, anyway, the, the town sort of starts to get turned into vampires. Also, first, like, kids start going missing, people are getting sick, uh, nobody can really figure it out. Anyway, the eventually... Dog gets, like, gutted. That's right, yeah, there's, like, a dog stuck on a post in the cemetery. People start to freak out a little bit, but no one's sure. Anyway, a couple of the main characters figure out it's vampires. Mm. Things escalate. They manage to kill the big vampire... And there's only two of them left by this point. It's this guy, Ben Mears, and then, like, some nerdy kid who was clearly Stephen King as a child. (laughs) (laughs) And then they... So they sort of kill the main dude, but then there's, like, the rest of the vampires um, still there. So they sort of just run away. Yeah, and that includes, like, the the woman that he starts falling in love with. Yeah, she gets turned into a vampire and he has to kill her, like, stab her through the heart. And that's, you know, it's pretty traumatic for him, I guess. Mm. Um... I haven't been through something like that, so I can't, <laughs> no. can't, I can't relate. Um, I, I felt like he was really the everyman, and that was an experience we all go through. <laughs> Stabbing our, our loved one through the heart as they turn into a vampire. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, then, and then in the epilogue, uh, and it's sort of about him and the kid, they come back and they sort of burn the, burn the town down cause, to try and kill the rest of the vampires yeah. and talk about how they'll probably have to hunt a few survivors, but... It, more or less, they think it's pretty much going to take care of it. Yeah, but that's like years later. It's it, so they run away. And I got confused about that. Like I read the epilogue, but like because it's it's half done in the prologue right at the start, mm. and then half done in the epilogue. So yeah. when I was reading the epilogue, I was like, wait, so how much time has meant to have passed? Because the prologue is basically them deciding to go back mm. after living in Mexico. Yeah. After running to Mexico. Yeah, and then I had the impression that they spent like 10 years in Mexico and went back from the prologue, but I sort of went and read it on the wiki and the wiki sort of implied that it was just a year that they were in Mexico and they went Uh, back. Okay, yeah, but But it's not really that big of a deal, I um, guess. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so that's basically what happened. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, going back to sort of one of the things I said at the start, um, I really felt like this was about the town Mm. more than the individual characters. Um, Oh, well, it's called Salem's Lot. Yeah. It's called Ben's Mears. Yeah, Ben Mears. Fun time experience. (laughs) Happy (laughs) vampire uh, vampire adventures. Vampire holidays. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that really came through. So, like, there's, like, the prologue, which is just about setting up mystery. It doesn't really Mm. tell you anything. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got, like, chapter one is about Ben... And even though, it, and so the chapter is called Chapter One, Ben, and, and it's about like him coming back to the town. But even then, the chapter focuses more on his relationship with the town as a kid than it yeah. does about why he's coming back. It briefly mentions like, "Oh, my wife died, um, but I'm really coming back here because my childhood trauma apparently means more to me." Yeah. Um, and then Chapter Two is called Susan, and it's all about him meeting Susan, who's the woman that he yeah that, that, he, that falls he falls in love with. with. And and like I know it's still like they spend half of it talking about the town when they were kids and yeah and all that but like it, that one was probably more about the character but then chapter three is literally called the what and it, this was probably my favorite chapter it's the one where it's just it goes through a day in the town yeah yeah and so it's like each each chapter's split into you probably didn't get this in the audiobook but each chapter split into like little sections mm. Uh, so I noticed when it was in the audiobook between sections the the narrator of the one I was listening to would just pause for like five seconds but so like each chapter would have maybe on average like fifteen of these sections, and so in mm. the in the um, Salem's Lot chapter, it was like the first section is like four a.m. and it talks about a couple of things going on in the town frame, and then it would be like six a.m. Yeah, and it just yeah. sort of went through a day and sort of talked about oh like oh this is what's happening at the school at this time, this is what's happening, and it really it set up the whole town and it introduced a bunch of characters as well who like later on it'd be like oh. 
Libby Crockett sat down to have her dinner. I'm like, who the hell's Libby Crockett again? <laughs> yeah. And then and then she'd sort and then they and then Stephen King would bring up one unique thing like that he'd mentioned something from that first chapter yeah. that was about them and you'd be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, she's this, that woman. This is the one with the baby or something. Yeah. And um and so that was uh like that was just a great chapter because it, it allowed him in basically one chapter to build out a whole town of characters. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to get at with the first part of the episode was that the reason I felt like this was such a strong book was because they he just spends so much time building up the town that mm. is about to be affected by this You're right. and, huge calamity. And so the, the edition you gave me uh, was almost exactly 500 pages. Mm. And it's like the first section is just called Jerusalem's Lot. So it's, it's one of those books that's divided into three sections. Yeah. They're pretty acts. clearly three acts. Yeah. yeah. And the first one is almost exactly 200 of those 500 pages and it's just called Jerusalem's Light and it's all of that yeah. built up. So I think the first the first sort of vampire death happens right at the end yeah. of that. But there's stuff like a kid goes missing. Yeah, exactly. Time, and stuff that obviously is hinting at this mystery that is building up but it's yeah. not really... It's, the tension's the always rising but definitely yeah, that first act is yeah. all about just establishing the town. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah, that was something I sort of found really... I just thought it was really well done. And yeah, like, like you really felt for this town because it was that classic small town that was dying off. Yeah. Um, already knew and, the and the whole thing kind of felt like it was a metaphor for a, for a small, like rural town dying off. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, yeah. And I might just be making this up or embellishing, but if I remember correctly, there's some, there's themes towards the end of people moving away from the town because of what has happened or yeah. because of what is happening. And that kind of, Strikes well, to that being a metaphor for the death of the rural American town in yeah. a lot of ways. There's a great there's a great scene right at the end of the book where it's basically just down to Ben and this little kid mm. and they go and find like the, the constable of the town. Yes. And and they're sort of like, Hey, we're gonna we've got to tell you what's going on and he's just sort of like it, it's like vampires, right? And like, <laughs> oh my god, you know, and it's like what are we gonna do? He's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. He's like, I'm just putting my stuff on my desk and and I'm gonna go live with my sister on the other side of the country. And and that was really good as well because they're like begging him to sort of help them stand up to yeah. the vampires, and he's just like, "Nah, this town was dying already." Um, yeah, like, what's the point? I'm out. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that that really sort of upped the drama in that bit as well. So you said you wanted to talk about the difference between the book and the audio book. Well, yeah. So I felt like it was spookier when I was reading, mm. uh, and that might be like you know. So the reason I had to jump into the audio book was because I realized I wasn't going to finish it in time. Uh, because I just, I do that thing. I read like a chapter before bed. So maybe it's cause I'm reading at night. Yeah. Um, that it's a bit spookier. I listen to it at night as well. Okay. So I think that's probably Yeah. Whereas when I'm listening to the audio book, it was like, you know, sort of on my commute. So I'm like mm. standing in the train, which is like sunny. Yeah. Uh, and that, You're safe. That, yeah. It might've <laughs> impacted, uh, the effect of it. Yeah. Uh, I definitely was feeling more spooked when I was sort of sitting here reading. That's but, interesting. I would say, I mean, I only listened to the audiobook. Yeah. I didn't read it, but I would have thought that the opposite would be true because audiobook is more, to me, it would, it would be more evocative than just reading it would be. See, I don't know. It, like, it, this might just be a personal. I get more immersed when I'm reading. Mm. I, I know with audiobooks, I find myself doing other things while yeah, listening fair to enough. Um, whereas the book, like, completely sucks me in. Um, and then as well, you're just sort of lying there after like reading about the vampires and it's just like, okay, it's bedtime. So yeah. I've got to lock all the doors and <laughs> get my crucifix ready. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was one particular scene I was thinking of, which was definitely the scariest part for me. See if you can, I want to see if you can just pick it. Um, 
I'm tr- oh, there's there's a couple. Um, I Don't mean, take too long because that's yeah. dead air. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I thought the scariest part for me was actually probably just right at the start, the two kids, mm. when they when they first got attacked. So that's like literally the first vampire attack. Yeah, the very first thing that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would have said for me that was the scariest. Um, okay, that's interesting. I, I, I can understand that. I think before I get to the scariest part, the, the part where they actually confront the vampire in the his basement or whatever that's pretty done pretty well yeah especially because it's the tension has been building up to this point um and people get injured uh one of the characters falls onto like the knives, knives and forks yeah. and stuff that and was like, gets impaled and... i didn't see that coming at all because that and that was kind of scary because it was like you the the way it's done is you just find out the guy's died but you're not really sure how and so yeah. then you're waiting for the kid to tell the others how he's died and the kid sort of does it, and you're expecting it's like, oh, he was attacked by a horde of vampires yeah. or vampire slaves. And it's like, no, nah, they just set a trap where he fell down some yep, stairs down and stairs. landed on a bunch of knives. And you're like, shit, like yeah. that's gnarly. Yeah. Um, um but so that added realness to the vampires, like talking again yeah. about that whole fantasticalness that took away from the fantasticalness. Like, no, they'll just they'll just kill you. Yeah. In a very normal way. whatever way they can, and that was terrifying. Yeah. yeah. But I would say the scariest part is there's a scene. There's a character who Ben becomes close friends with who is, I think, a professor at the mm-hmm. school and he kind of helps Ben figure out... He and Ben together figure out themselves, the vampires. Um, yeah. Um, and so they work together. But at one point, the professor... Ben is staying with the professor and the professor gets visited by one of these vampires. Mm. Or, yeah, he gets visited by a vampire, um, but it's not him. He's in the other room and someone else is getting visited by the vampire at his house. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And so there's this scene where the professor guy is like huddled against the door hoping that the vampire like listening to what's happening mm. in this other room and hoping that the vampire doesn't come in that just like haunted me for yeah. a long time okay very um, terrifying scene yeah um and it's especially like one of the scariest parts so these were like very much Bram Stoker mm. vampires they yeah, followed all they're the, classical the, vampires. the very Dracula rules and so they've got that sort of hypnotic gaze and like mm. when they tell you things, there's like a part of you that just wants to do it. Yeah, they have this that suggestion. Like, yeah, that hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. Like, and that's quite terrifying to think that like, even yeah, though you definitely. know what's going on, they're, they're possibly still able to manipulate you into doing what they want you to do. Yeah, and it's this image of the vampire like hovering outside of your window and you see it and you lock eyes with it and it's like, let me in. And you know that you have to invite yeah. it in, but you... <laughs> Are still doing it anyway yeah, because yeah, of still part, like, Yeah, and that, that happens to a few of the characters yeah. where they can't fight it and they accidentally invite them in. Yeah. And you have to, like, revoke an invitation. Like, once they're invited, they can keep coming in. Yeah. They, it has to be explicitly revoked. God. It's a scary book. Even um, though it's it's vampires, it's, a, it's yeah. such a cultural phenomenon, you know? Like, <laughs> And I've, had to, I've never really read a horror book before. Mm. And so I think this was the first time I've ever been spooked by a book. By a book, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um... So I'll move on to some complaints, I <gasps> <No>. guess. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to bring up is, like I said, I like uh, my the way I tend to read books is I read a chapter before I go to bed. Yeah. The chapter length in this book was very arbitrary and inconsistent. Mm, yeah. Um. So there's one. So yeah, like I said, the the copy gave me 500 pages. The second last chapter is 110 of those Jesus. 500 pages. <laughs> Um, and then the next one is six pages. Yeah. So... So maybe don't commit to <coughs> specifically a chapter. But so I went to read that one chapter one night, and I and I, I got like 20 pages in, and I'm like, this one's pretty long. <laughs> and I looked, and there was like another like 90 pages left, and I was like, nope, okay. Like, right, I guess I'm done <laughs> for the night. Yeah. Um, 
and so the and, but the thing was it you know so normally chapters are sort of yeah to divide the um you know the book up into like digestible little chunks, chunks yeah that that like thematically makes sense that they're in those chunks yeah i didn't really see a reason why this was just one 110 long thing yeah like it felt like like at the start of the book it was like that ben chapter the susan chapter the lot chapter and those were like very logical things then by the end it's like oh this chapter's called ben four <laughs> it's meant to be the other one about ben but half of the chapter would be from somebody else's experience yeah and so it just sort of felt like about halfway through the book Stephen just gave up on chapters and he's just like uh, no like it, it could have almost been more representative of his writing sessions than, yeah than any sort of feeling he had about the structure of the book yeah fair enough um i found the sections within the chapters much more reliable indicators of where i where i should stop and kind of the flow of the story as yeah, well exactly um, okay so that that's just sort of a, a meta complaint uh, the, the only complaint i have from the book is this one where it's it's um Straker who's um, Striker, isn't it? It's Straker. Straker, my bad. Um he he's talking to someone and so he's the the vampire's like human slave thing. Yeah. He's talking to someone and he's talking about how great bats are and how great wolves are and you know, it's normal <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, as you do. <laughs> and he normal basically conversation for a vampire or Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh and so he basically he just lists all the things that like Dracula turned into in yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's like, I love bats and I love wolves, and it's like, okay, like come right, on, red flags. Yeah. But then and then somebody else is sort of like, Oh, you know, and I like dogs, and he's like, Nah, I hate dogs. <laughs> and I was like, But dogs are just basically wolves. Yeah. Like that's a it's a weird complaint for you. To have. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Stryker should like dogs? I don't know. I think it was right at the end of the chapter, but I just remember sitting there for like ten minutes after I finished reading, going, "But dogs are just wolves." Yeah. <laughs> Why? How can you like wolves and not dogs? I mean, maybe he's speaking to like the feral nature as opposed to domesticated. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's probably some metaphor there, but uh, anyway, yeah, that was just, just a little it. random complaint. Right. That I, uh... <laughs> I, I, when you said you had complaints, I didn't expect it to be the chapter length and the fact that Stryker didn't like dogs. Um, okay. No, I mean, and the only other thing is, and I sort of get this with a lot of vampire things, is, you know, so he took over that town very rapidly. Yeah. And so you, you think with that sort of thing, like, if you can take over a town of a thousand people in a week, mm. why haven't vampires sort of taken over already? Taken over the or, world, or yeah. How are they still not public knowledge? And yeah. so, like, and I'm sure, like, you could just easily headcanon something. I mean, I feel like a big point of the book is this vamp, the vampires, or the main vampire is so powerful in some aspects and so weak in other aspects. Mm. Like he still obeys the traditional limitations. Like yeah. he sleeps during the day and basically nothing. The daytime during the book is like the safe haven where they can actually yeah. do stuff. And that's when they're, yeah, they're running around, they're making stakes. They're yeah. trying to get people on their side and everything. And um, yeah, it's, it's like, um, they're prepping for, for the nighttime wave of yeah. enemies that's going to come but, at them. But it's very clear that when these vampires set their minds to it, they can take over large populations fairly yeah. easily. So yeah. there must be some sort of headcanon explanation you can invent as to why they're not... why they remain, like, low down. Like, obviously, if they took over three-quarters of the planet, there wouldn't be any food left. Yeah. So, I like, mean, so like, they must, they must like, exhibit some restraint in that way. But, like, I, I don't you know. You can probably make up reasons, but the reason is probably just that Stephen King wanted to have a small-town vampire story. Oh, yeah. And, and so I read a bit about, like, the writing of the book after mm. I finished it. And so, basically, yeah, he, he read Dracula and he... He was sort of thinking about what would happen if Dracula came back, but in like 20th century mm. America. And he was talking to his wife about it, and he, he sort of joked that he's like, Oh, 
he'd probably just get run over in New York. <laughs> um, and so then, then they saw, and then his wife was just sort of like, yeah, but imagine if it was like a small town, he could take it over without anyone noticing. Mm. And that was basically, he was like, oh, that was shit. The scene for the book. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he originally called it like the second coming. Oh. Um, and then, but then and was that, it meant to be Dracula? I, I don't think it was ever going to be named like that. Like, that's yeah. it. like you know, find out about the vampire's past. You just know that he's old. Yeah. So I think it's that's the thing where it could have been Dracula. Yeah. I, I don't know. Sure. But, um, yeah. It was originally called the Second Coming, and then they told him that that was too religious, so <laughs> he named it after the town, which was Jerusalem's lot. And then yeah. they're like, "No, that same problem." Salem. <laughs> so they short. Oh, that's okay. And it was actually it was the editor's idea to short it the yeah. title to Salem's Lot. Yeah. I mean, it it works. Yeah, um, but so that yeah, that was just an interesting bit of trivia behind it. But uh, yeah, like, overall, I thought it was like yeah, spooky. And um, if you ignore the way the chapters divide up the story, I thought like it was a it was a well written, structured story. It was a perfect book, apart from that and the dog thing. <laughs> All right, cool. Glad um, you enjoyed it. Yeah. So I guess uh, I should give it a number out of ten. Um, yeah. Are we still doing that? Yeah. Let's. I do think it. so. Why not? Uh, I know. I give it like seven. <laughs> It's, it's fairly arbitrary. Gets a seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end there. Uh, yep. <laughs> we have to cut that rating system. <laughs> Come on, something Okay, thanks for listening to another episode of Media MD. You're welcome. Um, yeah, you can take the part of the listener for this <laughs> this little dramatic reading. Um, yeah, so we have a Twitter, which is at Media MD Podcast, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And we also, hopefully, by the time this comes out, we'll have a website, yeah, which right. is MediaMDPodcast.com. Mm-hmm. We got a dot .com. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can go on there and... You know, there'll be fun interactive games for you to play. You can check out pictures of the hosts and rate us on a hot or not scale. (laughs) All kinds of fun activities for the whole family. Activities may not be included. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So next week, we will be checking out a movie called Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus. Finally putting to rest the question, is bigger better? See you then.